and the main focus is building the structure, in this case, the family, ultimately the nation, in which different siblings, different people can be included under one roof. That's the mission. And that Avram could not do. Avram has to choose one covenantal son. Yitzchak, Yitzchak chooses one covenantal son, which is Yaakov. But Yaakov makes this promise in the context of the Bayit, which is one of the central themes of chapter 28. He calls the place Beit El. He promises, he takes a nether, he makes a vow. If you allow me, if you give me the opportunity, protection, safety, etc., food, basic necessities of life, bring me back in peace. This place shall be Beit Elohim. So that's the dream. Now the question is, can he do it? Because in the book of Breshit, until Yaakov, we have no sense that anybody can do it. The first set of brothers is Cain and Hevel. That didn't work out well. And again, in the patriarchal family of Avram and Yitzchak, one is chosen. Two can share. The first time we have two brothers ever sharing it all, a real sense of the two brothers are both included under the same roof. That's in chapter 38. That's the story of Yudah and Tamar. Tamar has twins. And there, as we pointed out, both of these twins are, must, must be included. You can't exclude either one. For the simple reason that the story of chapter 38 is about leveraged marriage by Yibum. And Tamar has lost two husbands, and Judah has lost two sons. So the, the idea of the twins then at the end of that chapter is that each of the two twins can be a replacement for one of the two lost children. So by definition, actually, you have a, a situation where two siblings both are included. And that chapter, chapter 38, which is strategically placed in the book, right after the sale of Joseph, which is in terms of the division of the family, that's the low point. And in chapter 38, there's a solution that the Torah offers us in terms of Yehuda. And the solution rests on two foundations in the Judah and Tamar story, which is not just not out of place, it's exactly in the right place. It requires two things. Number one, it requires taking responsibility. The theme of that chapter was the Eravon, the guarantee, the security. And the second was Judah's confession. So responsibility and confession are the way towards building the family. And those two factors play out in the Joseph narrative, as we saw earlier, where Judah says, I'm the Arab, and he's the one to confess when they are brought back to Joseph and the gobble that's found in Benjamin's sack. So there is, in the book, there's a, there's a way, there's a path towards the building of the, of the bias. Having said all that, we have to remember that when Yaakov heads down to Mitzrayim back in chapter 46, he thinks he's going initially to visit his son, Joseph. He's delighted that Joseph is still alive. He wants to see him in, in, in Jacob's own words, before I die, I want to see him. But God has a different plan. God speaks to Jacob in chapter 46, that critical chapter, Yaakov says, and God informs Yaakov, you're not going just to see Joseph. You're going to be there till you die. The rest of your life, you're in Mitzrayim. And we have the strange statement back in chapter 46, Joseph will place his hands over your eyes. What exactly that means when you read it at first is not clear. But what I think is clear when you continue to read, and we started chapter 48, 
is that Yaakov actually has a mission in Mitzrayim. And the mission Yaakov has in Mitzrayim is the mission of Jacob's life, to build the bayit. And there's one missing piece in the bayit. The missing piece is Joseph. Because the question is, okay, Joseph's going to feed the family and Joseph's going to give them food. But at the end of the day, the question is, can Joseph be included within the family? He is, after all, apart from the animosity, obviously, that was engendered by the attempted murder of and sale of Joseph, apart from that, he's an Egyptian. I mean, yes, he resists Mrs. Potiphar. He has some of the values of Yaakov. But at the end of the day, he's the viceroy of Egypt. When he comes to see Yaakov earlier, he comes with his Merkava, with his chariot. His name is Tavnat Paneach. He's married to the priestly family of Egypt. Osnat Potifera. He dresses like an Egyptian. He works for Paro. He's the second in command in Egypt. So the question is, what about Joseph? Can can Joseph be included? And here we come to a very important point. I know I'm repeating what I said earlier because it's critically important here. And that is, unlike say Yishmael, who is linked to Joseph in many ways as we have seen, unlike Esau, let's stay with Yishmael. Yishmael and Yitzchak can get along perfectly fine. They get along wonderfully. But Yishmael is living in a different place. Yishmael has his own nation. Great blessing, 12 nations shall emerge from you, etc. 12 princes. Yishmael is Yishmael, and Yitzchak is Yitzchak. They may have some connection or not, and that's perfectly fine. Esav and Yaakov. Esav is very successful. He has his own country. He has an army, he has a country, he has wealth. And Yaakov wants to get along with him, and Yaakov wants to repair the relationship that uh, was frayed when Yaakov stole the blessing. But there's no sense whatsoever that Esau and Yaakov can be together quite the opposite. They're going to live separately. Yaakov doesn't go with Esau. He wants to make peace with Esau, but not be part of Esau. But that's fine. Same with Ishmael. But when it comes to Yosef, that's inadequate. It's, the brothers just you can't get along with Joseph. That, that doesn't work. To get along with him is not building the body. Joseph is an integral part of the family. Jacob's favorite, probably the most talented of all. And he is essential to building the bayit. If you have 11 sons of Jacob and not the 12th, you have failed in your mission. And that is why Jacob is going down to Mitzrayim. It's not to see see Joseph. What God effectively is saying to Yaakov is you have a mission in Mitzrayim. And Yaakov has already accepted. Yaakov said, Hineni. And God says, Anochi, Anochi, Anochi. I I have a mission. I have a plan for you. You're not going to visit him. The same as God said earlier in this book, when Yaakov was running away from home and his mother had said, you'll stay for a few days. And God said, it won't be a few days. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to abandon you. That's not a few days. So the same thing over here. So the mission of Yaakov is to build a family. But the missing, missing piece, the main missing piece, is Yosef. We don't know to what extent he's a Jew. And we also... Don't know if the relationship of Yosef and his brothers can be fully repaired. We know that they don't trust him from the last chapter of the book that we'll get to in the future. But this is Yaakov's mission, which he has accepted. How do you bring Yosef back into the family? This is the question. So we're up to chapter 48. And let's start with the 12th puzzle. 
Yaakov comes down to Mitzrayim, and we last week discussed what Yaakov says in the beginning of the chapter to Yosef. What Yaakov says to Yosef is that God appeared to me earlier when I came back from the house of Lavan. And he virtually quotes what God said back in chapter 35. But, and this is what's interesting about Yaakov, he now interprets what God had said earlier. He offers an interpretation. God had, when I came back from the house of Lavan, uh, God said to me, Yaakov, your name is not Yaakov, your name is Israel. That Yaakov does not mention over here, but Yaakov does say that God told me, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall emerge from you. That is, is what God says almost verbatim back in chapter 35. And then Yaakov interprets that in the fifth pasuk here in chapter 48, he offers an interpretation. I now know what God meant, be fruitful and multiply. When you read it back in chapter 35, it sounds like be fruitful and multiply might not be referring to Jacob the person, but referring to Israel the nation. And it may be that, but Yaakov here offers another interpretation. It refers to Jacob the person. What does it mean be fruitful and multiply? He has already 11 sons. His wife, Rachel, sounds like she's already pregnant with their 12th son, and she dies shortly thereafter, as Yaakov mentions. In verse number seven, <coughs> when I came back, Rachel died by Derech on the path, and I buried her on the path near, the, near Ephrat, etc. So Yaakov interprets that. He now interprets this, that, that story. He, he's reinterpreting his own life. He's a very old man reinterpreting his life, now understanding his life. And what he, um, what he says is, I now understand through what happened, Rachel dying, and she dies in Ephrat, which is related to Hifriticha, pray Reve. She dies in a place called fertility. He says, Yaakov, I understand now what God meant. God meant that Rachel and I will have more children. Rachel's dead. So therefore, my interpretation is what God must have referred to is the fact that now, when I come down to Egypt, I'm going to have more, more children. So I now adopt, says Yaakov, I adopt your two sons, Ephraim and Menashe, are my sons. Ephraim and Menashe, Kiruvain Vishimon Yuli. Remarkable statement. I consider Ephraim and Menashe, your children, to be my children. And not only does Yaakov say that Ephraim and Menashe are my children, but he says more than that. He says, bring them to me and I will bless them. I will bless them. Ephraim and Menashe are mine in verse number five. But now Yaakov says, bring them to me and I will bless them as fathers have blessed their sons in this book. Yitzhak blessed Yaakov. Yaakov in the next chapter will bless all of his sons. But over here, he says to Yosef specifically, bring me Menashe and Ephraim. He says, Ephraim and Menashe, I will bless them. So when you, he says that remarkable statement, and the Chumash, this is what we left off with last week. The Chumash, in describing Yaakov about to bless Ephraim and Menashe, recalls for us the story of Yitzchak blessing Yaakov. The story of Yitzchak blessing Yaakov back in chapter 27. Yitzchak thinks it's Esau. That's the transfer story for the blessing from, from Yitzchak to one of his sons, turns out to be Yaakov. In that story, which begins in chapter 27. Yitzchak, his, his eyes are dim, he cannot see. And uh, he calls his son Esav in. And we know the story that Rivka tells Yaakov to 
go in to get the blessing that was intended for Esau, and Yaakov dresses up as Esau, and Yitzhak is, can't see. So Yitzhak makes it, Yitzhak is suspicious for any number of reasons, but he can't see who it is. So he tries to compensate by the voice of Yaakov. It sounds like Yaakov's voice. Let me, let me touch you, let me feel you. And then he smells the garments. So he uses the other senses to compensate for his lack of vision. Over here in chapter 48, that's how the story begins. Bring me, bring me these children and I will bless them. And verse number 10, where we ended up last week, but Jacob's eyes were heavy. He could not see, not just dim, he can't see at all. Sounds like he's blind. He hugs them and he kisses them. So actually, he's again, it sounds like the story of Yitzchak. He's trying to compensate to know who they are. Can't see them. Can't see them. So he, he feels them, he touches, right? You have the same thing with Yitzchak. Kisses him and he, and he, and he smells the garment. This is the garment of, my, of the field that God has blessed, etc. And now we have, let's pick up with verse number 11. We have this remarkable verse in verse 11. By Yoma Yisrael El Yosef, says, I hadn't determined, I hadn't expected to see your face. But behold, God has shown me the face even of your children. That verse follows upon the previous verse, which says, you can't see it all. So he speaks about seeing in verse number 12. Uh, he uses the word twice. He says, But I'm able to see even your children. But the Torah just said he can't see it all. So the point of this, this is what we left off with last week. The Torah is raising for the reader, for us, a question. Can he see, can he not see? Does he know who these kids are? Doesn't he know? Your Joseph comes with the two children and Yaakov says, who are those, who are those, who are those kids with you? Who are those people with you? Oh, that's Menashe and Ephraim. So it's very strange. He, he mentions Menashe and Ephraim on one hand. On the other hand, how much does this man actually know? How much does he understand? Um, that's a very good question. What does he know? You know, the Haftorah for this parasha, Parashas Vayechi, is where King David is old. And uh, he, before his death, he commands his son Shlomo, kill this one, kill that one. And the larger story of Dave, King David, the very beginning of the book of Mulachim, that's one of the main questions. David is old. He covered him with blankets. He can't be warmed up. How much does he understand? How much does he know? That's the question. Well, the same question can be raised about Yaakov. The Chumash wants you to ask the question. It's a big setup. The Chumash is setting up the question. I didn't expect even to, I thought I'd never see you. I see you and I see your children. One verse earlier, his eyes are heavy, he cannot see. So can he see or can't he see? This is the question. So now let's, let's see if we can complete this chapter 48 this morning. Uh, one of my truly favorite chapters of the Tanakh. So let's see what happens. Let's start with verse number 12. So Joseph takes the children off his knee. Now the knee is a symbol of later on you have it. Genus is a knee in Latin. 
progeny of children, genes, right? So this is, has to do with, in a sense, Joseph is at this point, one might say, giving up the children to Jacob. Jacob's going to bless them. Yaakov said, these are my kids. These are, these are like Ruben and Shimon to me. Remarkable statement. Yosef takes them off his knee and they bet by Yishtachu Liapavarza. He bows, he bows down with his face to the ground. It sounds like Joseph is bowing down to Jacob. Joseph is acceding to Jacob. Earlier, at the end of 47, Jacob bows down either to Joseph or to God in gratitude for Joseph's uh, agreeing to bury Yaakov back in the land of Canaan. Here we have Joseph the Viceroy bowing down to his father. That is to say, he's, he's, he's acceding to his father's wishes. Yes, you will bless them as their father. Like Reuven and Shimon, fine. And now we have the description of how the blessing is going to take place. Let's pay very close attention to these verses, and then I'll stop and take comments or questions. Says, Joseph took his two sons, both of them. At Ephraim be me no me small Israel. Now the Torah says when he walks towards Jacob, <coughs> Ephraim, that's the younger son is on Joseph's right, which is to Jacob's left. When you're facing somebody, what's my right is your left. So he, 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 the Torah says he, brought, he took Ephraim on his right side, which was to the left of Israel, left of Jacob. Yet So he, uh, he stands in front of Jacob. So he's positioning the two kids on Jacob's right is Menashe, and on Jacob's left is Ephraim. But what's very strange in the Torah, actually, is that the Torah could have said that in a much simpler way. And Joseph brought the two children to his father, and he placed Ephraim on the left side of Jacob and Menashe on the right, or Menashe on the right and Ephraim on the left. That's what I would have written. But the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says something different. He walks with his father, with Ephraim on his right side, which is Jacob's left. And he walks with Menashe on his left side, which is Jacob's right. And when we read this, we ask ourselves the question, why such a clumsy way of saying it? The Torah's point is very simple. He wants the right one, to, he wants Menashe, his Bechar, to be on Yaakov's right side. So say, he put Menashe on Yaakov's right and he put Ephraim on Menashe's left. But the Torah puts it in terms of how they stand vis-a-vis -vis Joseph. Ephraim is to Joseph's right, which is the left of, of, of Yaakov. And there is something to this, obviously. And I have a suggestion in a minute about why the Torah presents it in this way. Okay. And now, in the next verse, we have the surprise. It says, Yisrael et yimino, rosh Ephraim, yet so what does Yaakov do? Yaakov, guy who can't see, he doesn't move the children. He leaves the children exactly how they are, but he, he switches his hands. He places his right hand on the head of uh, Ephraim, who stands to his left, and he places his left hand on the head of Menashe, right, who is to his right. And the Torah says, Sikel et Yadav, Sikel, Sin Kaf Lamed. I think it's probably related, the Rashbam is a different shot, but the simple mean, meaning of it is, 
it's related to the word seichel, or haskel, which is wisdom, cleverness or wisdom. We say in the Nusach Ashkenaz of the Shmona Esrei, in the first intermediate blessing, we ask for wisdom. We ask God grant us knowledge, insight, and haskel, seichel, some kind of knowledge, some kind of wisdom. Maybe it's a practical wisdom, some kind of understanding. Another question is, so obviously Yaakov is demonstrating that he favors Ephraim over Menashe. Just want to focus on this for a moment over here and make a couple of points and I'll stop and take comments or questions. Let me just make the first point is that he's about to bless them. By Yavarech et Yosef, by Omar, we'll get to that verse, we'll get to the details in a minute. But my first point is that the blessing he pronounces, which is the next verse, verse number 15 and then verse number 16, those two verses, he doesn't give a different blessing to Ephraim and Menashe. He gives Ephraim and Menashe the identical blessing. That's a very important point. There's no distinction in the blessing. The blessing is the same for both. The distinction is he demonstrates a kind of favoritism of some sort or other in terms of the right hand and the left hand, but not in terms of the actual blessing. It's a joint blessing. So it's two brothers getting the identical blessing. And that's a very important point. That's number one. Point number two is that I suggest that what the Chumash is saying is, and the reason that it doesn't set it up the way it sets it up, is that actually what Yaakov is saying to Yosef is something else. He's talking to the boys, but he's actually talking to Yosef. And he's saying to Yosef, in effect, not only do I favor Ephraim over Menashe, but, and this is an important point, but I'm blessing you. You have to come to an understanding that Ephraim, in one form or another, surpasses Menashe. Because that's the point of the way they're set up. They're standing. Ephraim stands to Joseph's right. And Menashe stands on Joseph's left. So the point is, he doesn't reposition the children. If he repositioned the children, then Ephraim would be on, on Joseph's left. He doesn't want that. He's going to bless. He's not even blessing the boys. He says, I'll bless them. But in the beginning of the next passage is, by Yomar. He blessed Joseph. The blessing is to Joseph. And what he's actually saying to Joseph is, Yosef, the way you have them standing unconsciously, is vis-a-vis -vis yourself is correct. Ephraim's got to be on your right, and Menashe has to be on the left. Another question is why? We'll get to the fight between Yaakov and Yosef in a minute, but just I want to reiterate, I think I mentioned this last week, why does Yaakov favor Ephraim over Menashe? So my suggestion is, and we're working with what the Chumash says, not on Midrashim, always what the text says. So what does the text tell us about Menashe and Ephraim? Zero. The text says absolutely nothing in the, in the book of Rashid about Benash and Ephraim except for one thing, the reason for their names. And that's the critical point, that Menashe, which means forgetfulness, that's Joseph's oldest one. And Joseph had said, now I named, he names his first son Menashe, God has enabled me to forget my suffering in my father's house. So when Menashe represents for Joseph is his success in Egypt. And the fact that he did it on his own. So one of the Jewish stories that we have, the immigrant, the Jewish immigrant comes with nothing and manages somehow with hard work, ingenuity, et cetera. 
to rise to high levels um, with all the obstacles, with all the anti-Semitism, with all the poverty, with everything else, to be able somehow to, to make it. That's what Joseph is saying. He's very proud of that. Forgetfulness. I did it without, no one helped me. On the contrary, I forget, I forget, I forget my past. I'm in Egypt. I made it in Egypt. That's primary. The second son, he names Ephraim, for he said, Ifrani Elohim son, ye God has made me fruitful in the land of my on ye of my suffering. That refers to Egypt. The second son is I was successful despite the fact that Egypt is a place of on ye, is a place of my suffering. So for Jacob, Ephraim's got to be primary because Ephraim represents an understanding on Joseph's part, as successful as he is, that it's Eretz on ye. Which for Jacob means, Eretz Onyi means not my place. Because we have to remember that the covenantal formula, the suffering you, you must endure to enter into the covenant is Gerud, Abdut, and Inui. Inui is one of the three uh, requirements for being covenantal. Being a slave, being a stranger, and having Inui. And Yosef naming his son Ephraim. Uh, which is a recognition of Eretz Anyi, is for Yaakov a step in the right direction. So that's why Yaakov, of course, favors Ephraim. And on top of that, as we discussed last week, the whole point of Yaakov's reinterpretation of the text, I Love His Life, is that Rachel died in a place called Ephrat. Ephrat, that was a sign that her death in Ephrat, after God had said, be fruitful and multiply, pray or obey, Yaakov sees her death of Rachel as significant, where she died. It must be that Rachel will be the one to bear more children. And of course, Ephraim and Ephrat and Ephrani and Ephriticha and pray all related terms. So Yaakov sees even in his understanding of what happened and his reinterpretation of his own life, actually, um, he sees a, a hint in the text, one might say, or a hint in how things played out, that even there there's a hint that it's got to be Ephraim and not Menashe. And that's what Yaakov and Yosef are going to fight about. Which is primary? A real fight over here, a real disagreement between this old guy, whom the text suggests maybe he can't even see, and the, the brilliant viceroy of Egypt. This is what they're going to be fighting about. But part of what's very powerful about the story here, one of the great stories, I think, of the Bible, but this idea of Yaakov, actually, I just wanted to come back to this point, which we touched on earlier in this book. The idea of someone who was able to look at his life and to figure out, at the end of his life, to sort of figure things out about his own life. Um, you know, many years ago with Risha, so we had different programs. And uh, one of the programs we had, I forget which one it was, one of the summer programs, we, we actually screened a movie. We screened several movies at Trisha, and we screened one of my favorite movies of all time, Wild Strawberries. And Wild Strawberries is exactly about this point. It's about an old, old man, successful in a certain sense, in terms of his profession, who's traveling to get a, an, honor, an honorary doctorate, honorary degree from the university, and on the path back, he relives his life. And he comes to a, a, a better understanding, a deeper understanding of what his life was about, of what the failures were, about how perhaps to, one could correct this, one can correct it 
whether he carries is a very an old person, but the point is, he comes to this understanding. <coughs> the case of Yaakov, that's exactly the story here. It's the end of his life, and he's actually reinterpreting the Chumash. He's a parashal on the Chumash. Now I understand, so many years later, what that must have meant. Now I understand it. That's about Rachel having more children. And in, and in, in, in doing this, just to come back to last week, he want, his goal is not just to bring Joseph back into the family, which he will do, as we will see shortly, but his goal is to bring that whole side of the family back in. Not just Yosef, but also Rachel, who died because she stole the idols. She died by Derech. And Yaakov finds a way to interpret, to interpret his own life in such a way that Rachel can be brought back. Okay, so we will get to the, to the blessing itself in a minute. Let me stop here for a moment and take comments or questions about uh, what we've seen so far. Feel free to unmute yourself to ask questions out loud or put them in the chat and I will read them out. Uh, isn't this also uh, uh, Jacob saying to Joseph a refutation of his original dream? That in fact, to be a member of the family, you can't have everybody bowing down to you. In fact, Joseph is bowing down to Jacob. Yes, I will come back to your point uh, before we finish today. I'll get back to that point, exactly that point. I have something to say about that. We'll just have to wait a few minutes. I'll, I'll get back to you. Anybody else? Robert, sure. How is, how, why is it that Leah has to be the continuity? Could you just explain that again or explain it? Uh, Leah is the main wife. I mean, it's one of these remarkable. Um, I mean, Rachel is, is actually, I mean, Leah is the mother of kingship and the mother of the priesthood. Uh, Rachel is problematic in the, in, the, in the Chumash. I mean, she does steal the idols. And, and she dies in one way or another. It's related to taking of the trophim. Uh, it's part of Jacob, what Jacob says about his own life. My years were few and they were bad. There are many disappointments in Jacob's life. That's got to be right near the top of the list. Uh, his beloved wife dies, dies young, um, having stolen the idols. And my point here is that the ja Yaakov finds a way to somehow include her. Or as I mentioned last week, to to interpret her death by Derech, not as she died, you know, never having made it, but she died on the way back trying to make it. He gives a sort of generous reading of, of Rachel's life. But at the end of the day, I, I would say that in the Peshat of the Chumash is, uh, the Ramban makes the argument you can't have both, you can't have two sisters. Later on, it's forbidden. Ramban says you have to choose one or the other, and Leah, there's nothing negative about Leah. You know, whatever part, I mean, she's, Yaakov dislikes, Yaakov doesn't like her in the beginning or whatever it is, but with Rachel, there's something problematic about her. You know, she's connected to Lavan in, in more than one way. So I think that we find a way to include her. What I mentioned last week is that in later, in later writings, uh, her being Baderech is where, she, is where she does the most good. She's the one who's, who's, who's uh, most sensitive to, to the lost souls. Because she herself is someone who is, you know, in a sense, tragically, 
never makes it back to the to the house, as it were, but she plays a role by Derek, which is probably, probably related to Yosef. Yosef is never the leader. I mean, ultimately, it's Judah, not Joseph. It's not to say Joseph doesn't play a very significant role. He does. But so that's what I suggested last week. I think that's the case. You have to choose one. We choose Leah. Rachel was actually problematic. Let me make it one other point about this um, Yaakov switching his hands cleverly. Um, I would say the following. First of all, sikel et yadav is an interesting word. Sin kaflamen. We have to remember that in, in, the, in the Torah, there are no vowels. And that the letter sin, right, and the letter shin are written identically. The, uh, the uh, ones who study language have all kinds of questions about the shin and the sin, you know? Um, but um, when you look at the Chumash, they're, they're identical. And I mention this for a simple reason. You remember the story when the brothers came back from uh, Egypt and they find money in their sacks and Shimon is missing. And Yaakov then is very suspicious. And Yaakov says to the brothers, Otishikaltem, you have made me bereft. Shikaltem. Yosef Joseph is gone and Shimon is gone. Is a sounds Yaakov suspicious. Come back with a lot of money and no Shimon. Joseph is gone. What happened to Joseph? You know? So he says, all these terrible things happened to me. And Ruve then says, Father, I'll, 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 I promise to bring you up. I'll go down with Binyamin. And if I don't come back, you can kill my two children, two for two. And what's interesting is that Yaakov had said, you, you have caused me to be bereft of two children with this whole Joseph story. But at the end of the day, actually, it turns out exactly the opposite is true. That Yaakov actually picks up two children. And that's over here, the Chumash place with Shakol, Shin Kav Labid, and Sakol, Sin Kav Labid, which is, of course, identical word in the Chumash. And Sikelet Yadav, Yaakov finds a way, not, not, not just he doesn't lose two children, but he actually picks up two children. It's another example where the story is playing off earlier episodes in the book of Breshit, and especially within the Yaakov cycle. Okay, that's a good point about Sikewet Yadav. Now let's get back to the text over here. I'd like to finish this chapter Rabbi, today. we have one yes. more question in the chat, if that's all right. Yes. Um, Charlotte in the chat asks, where do we see the three struggles someone has to go through before entering the land? Um, that's in chapter 15. That is <laughs> chapter 15. That's the terms of the covenant with Abraham. And that is one of the most, if not the most significant chapter, maybe in the Torah. Those are the terms of the covenant. And we've spoken about that in my classes in many, many different occasions, including the Haggadah, which is based on that idea as well. So that's a much longer conversation. That's Geirut Abdut and Inui, which Yaakov goes through in chapter 30 and 31, 30, Yaakov, and 32. Yaakov describes his own experience in the house of love and his game with Abdut and Inui, which is another example, where you mentioned that, of Yaakov reinterpreting his past. Yaakov goes back in Lovan Garthi. I was a daring that, a stranger in the house of Lovan. One does not get the feeling when Yaakov is raking in all the money of speckled and spotted that he's a stranger in the house of Lovan. But afterwards, he looks back at that experience and he says that was not my place 
So Gewut, uh, and of course, in the beginning of Sefer Shemot, we have Gewut Abdut and Inui as well. So that goes, that's the covenantal formula. It's chapter 15. Let's pick up now. So now we have the actual blessing of, of, of Ephraim and Menashe in verse number 15. But the Chumash starts it in a strange way. So Yaakov blesses Joseph. The blessing is not said, he doesn't say blesses Ephraim and Menashe. Says he blesses Joseph. And the blessing is a very beautiful blessing. So before we get to the actual blessing itself, I want to make a different point. So here is the point. Yaakov is trying to figure out a way to include Joseph. That's how we began this, this morning. Yosef is central. Yosef is the brother who, is, who has a, a very complicated relationship with the other brothers. Everybody is to blame for it, but that's the situation. How can Yaakov bring Yosef back into the family? Yosef must be brought back in. How can Yaakov do it? So one of the mechanisms, I think the chief mechanism to bring Yosef back into the family is there is no tribe of Joseph, actually. Fundamentally, there's a tribe of Ephraim and a tribe of Menashe. So the way Joseph is brought back into the family is by, um, by substituting Menashe and Ephraim for, for, for Yosef. That's the way the brothers may not care for Yosef, may be suspicious of Yosef, but presumably they have nothing against Ephraim and Menashe. They have no history with Ephraim and Menashe. So Ephraim and Menashe can function instead of Yosef. But the effect of Ephraim and Menashe functioning instead of Yosef is that actually it turns out that there may be no Yosef on the one hand, but on the other hand, there are two tribes of Joseph. So the two tribes of Joseph actually, two tribes of Joseph, uh, suggests that Joseph does have a preeminent position within, within the family. The, the birthright, the Bukhar who gets an extra portion in the Chumash, the natural Bukhar is Ruben. But Yaakov in the next chapter that we'll get to next time we meet, strips Ruben of the Bukhara, right? Pachas kamayim al totar. You don't get the extra portion. Who does get it? So Joseph gets it. So to come back to Chaim's point, about Joseph's dreams, dreams of supremacy. The brothers have bowed down to Joseph in terms of Viceroy of Egypt, but beyond that, there is a sense that Joseph is preeminent. And the sense that Joseph is preeminent is that the rights of the firstborn, that is to say, the double portion, that goes to Joseph. What does not go to Joseph is the, uh, is, is the kingship. And here I wanna come back to a point that I did not mention last week, but I do wanna mention it now. I'm just thinking about it now as I'm talking. Yaakov, you remember, cites chapter 35. And he tells it to Joseph. When I came back from the house of Lavan, God said, be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall emerge from you and the land shall be yours. He says all that to Joseph. But there's one thing he didn't say to Joseph, which is found in chapter 35. Three words. Kingship shall emerge from you. It's very striking that Yaakov quotes that section of chapter 35, beginning around verses 9 or 10, 
He quotes it almost word for word, but he leaves out three, he leaves out the kingship, and it's no accident. Because at the end of the day, the kingship, which is the actual leadership, is never going to be Joseph. Because at the end of the day, ultimately the brothers don't fully, fully, fully feel comfortable with Joseph. That's the truth of it. There's always that tension throughout the whole Bible of Joseph and Judah, Joseph and the other tribes. So on one hand, yes, in terms of the dreams of Joseph, do they come true? They came true initially, the brothers do bow down, but there's something about Joseph being having a certain kind of supremacy that is true. Joseph is, I guess, the, the rights of the firstborn, the double, the, the double portion. Kingship he doesn't get. So to that degree, right? When the brothers said, shall you, shall you be the brothers were right, that never happens. But on the other hand, there is a sense in which Joseph has something over it beyond the other brothers. Okay, so that's in terms of over here, the blessing is to Joseph. This is how Yaakov finds a way to include, uh, to include, uh, to include Yosef. Now, let me add something else into the mix over here, which I think is very interesting about the relationship of the way it's working over here. The blessing to Ephraim and Menashe is given by Yaakov. Yaakov says, Ephraim and Menashe, Kiruvain v'shimon yuli. So the blessing is given by Jacob as a, as, a, as, a, as a parent. That's what he says. They're my children. One might even say they're mine, Yosef, and at this point, not even yours. But on the other hand, we can't forget the reality that Jacob is not their father. Jacob is their grandfather. So the blessing that's coming to Benasha and Ephraim is coming, one might say, a double blessing that comes to them both is from their father on one hand, their adopted father, but also their grandfather. And what's very interesting to think about is we have a, a, we have a parallel story where the ability to include is a function of the father who's also the grandfather. We really have a story of somebody, of an inclusion, which is made possible by father, grandfather, one and the same person, both the father and the grandfather. And of course, this takes us back to that very critically important chapter in the book, um, which of course is Judah and Tamar. That's the story of, that's the first story in which we have two brothers that can actually both be included. And the one, it becomes possible through leveret marriage. Now who performs the leveret marriage uh, which enables these two, these two children both to be included? Well, the answer is Judah. What is Judah's relationship to these two children? Well, he's their father. When you think about it, He's also their grandfather, right? He's the father of, of the two boys who died, right? He's their father. His two sons who died, so he's the grandfather of the children from the, from the father's side. But, but looking at from the Tamar, he sleeps with Tamar. So he's the father, he's the father of the children. So we have an interesting story, which is the father also being the grandfather and over here as well. We have Yaakov is the father and also the grandfather. And perhaps what this is about, I remember that Dvorah, my wife had, has many thoughts about this, but the, the idea of um, 
actually in a very elo eloquent formulation of it too, which I can't remember, eloquent and elegant, but I'll just say what I'm thinking now, which is what Yaakov is able to do over here, Yaakov includes Yosef through a kind of distancing. In other words, the brothers may not care for Yosef, but they have nothing against Yosef's children. So in terms of he includes Yosef by, by eliminating Yosef in a sense, but by including Yosef through the children. But the same kind of distancing is between grandfather, between them and their, you know, there are tensions between brothers and the tensions of fathers and, and children. But the point in the case of Judah and Menashe and Ephraim, you may have tensions with your father, but not with your grandfather. You know, C.S. Lewis, Lewis's famous comment, uh, which is very much the point about the prayer, our father who art in heaven, Avinu Shabashamayim, and Lewis' comment was, people don't actually want a father in heaven. They want a uh, grandfather in heaven. You know, the grandfather comes by, kisses the kids, gives them some presents, and then leaves. You love your grandfather, you know? Because the grandfather imposes nothing upon you. The parents are another story. Their parents have all kinds of complications. The grandparents, you know, visit them a few times a year. For the most part, it's all sweetness and light. So you have this kind of distancing over here in the story, both in terms of the children replacing, uh, replacing Yosef. And Yosef's included through his children. But you also have another distancing, which is the children basically the one giving them the blessing. And the one giving them the blessing may be acting as their father, but he's also their grandfather. All right. Something to think about. Now let's get to the actual blessing itself. So again, to repeat, and after this, I'll stop and take comments or questions. Um, so first of all, um, I want to repeat this point because it's a very important point that I'll make two points. Number one, that the blessing to Menashe and Ephraim is one blessing. It's not two different blessings. They are brothers who share a blessing. This we don't have typically. In the next chapter, Jacob will bless his 12 sons with radically different blessings. A couple of them, one might not even call them blessings. I, it calls them a blessing, but they're also very severe criticisms. But over here, each one gets their own blessing. Here, it's joint. It's one of the reasons that the Jewish people have chosen uh, these, this, this puzzle as to bless our children is because we are blessing the children. Right? Um, so that's, that's part of it. That, that I think is a very important point um, in terms of the uh, best blessing being a joint blessing. The difference is the hands. Yaakov puts his right hand on the head of Ephraim and the left hand on Menashe. And there's some kind of preeminence of Ephraim over Menashe, but not in terms of the actual blessing. And here the point I wanted to emphasize very strongly is that Yaakov's device here of inclusion through the right hand of saying, this is the way it's got to work. So Joseph, your way doesn't work, my way works. And the, the mechanism, is, is mechanism is the right hand. And the point, I may mention this way, so we're going to remember that this is not the first time Yaakov does this. Because in terms of Rachel's other child, her second child, Benjamin, Binyamin. When Binyamin dies, Rachel gives birth, having stolen the trophy. And she named her son Ben-Oni, the commentaries are divided, my view is it means son of my sin. Avon, Oven, not Avon, not Avon with an eye, with an olive, but it means iniquity or sinfulness. Son of my sinfulness, it's a confession on her part. Uh, 
and Yaakov changes the name. Not then only, but being your men, the son of my right hand. God is my right hand, God is my strength. And in changing the name, what Yaakov is saying in effect is, my kid, you can't be part of this family and be identified with, 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 with Trafim. So that confession of Rachel, confession is important, but the kid can't bear the name then only. And Yaakov named no other children. All the kids are named by the mothers, except for Binyamin, because Yaakov changes the name. Binyamin, son of my right hand. And once again, the right hand is employed in the story over here to include Menashe and Ephraim, which means to include Joseph, which means to include Rachel. So those are the two points I wanted to make. Now let's just get to some couple of details about the blessing of Yaakov. So first of all, Yaakov says, Yosef, he's blessing Joseph. He talks about the God before who walked Abraham and Yitzchak. In the case of Abraham, it's explicit. Back in chapter 17, God said to Abraham, walk before me and be whole. And Yaakov is saying to Yosef, that's, that's my blessing to you. Yitzchak followed in his father's footsteps. So I bless you in the name of that God and also the God the God that has shepherd, shepherded me. Here we have a very strange word, may od. The translation of the JPS is from my birth. I find that I'm not sure it means from my birth. May od actually is a very interesting word. Uh, it has within it the word od. It appears one other place in the uh, in, 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 in the Torah. That's the story of Bilam and his and his and the and the and his and his and the ass of Bilam who is who talks to him. And Bilam starts hitting this animal who's veered off the path, refuses to walk, veers off the path. And the Aton says to Bilam, Why are you hitting me? Why are you beating me? Hello, Am I not your Aton? Who's been with you, who's been with you from until this very day? Have I ever done anything to endanger you? That's what the bill, that's what the Aton says to Bilam. It strikes me, it may mean it means, I think, in the course of my life. Old means more. As we as as there's more, every day is a new day, every in my in my journey. And the, the Aton said to Bilam, listen, have I ever, in all your life, and everything you went through, have I ever been damaged you or endangered you? Have I ever damaged or hurt you? And I think over here, the sense of it's not so much my birth, but in my, in my life, God has been my shepherd in all of my life. And Yaakov had described his life earlier to Paro as being very difficult. Having said all that, I had many, many difficult situations in my life, but God has been my shepherd and God has been my redeemer. God sent by the Malach in the next, it's exactly the point. The angel who has saved me from all evil. I have confronted much evil in my life, with difficult situations in my life. The family was a royal mess from top to bottom. You have Shimon and Levi, you have the story of Dina, you have Yosef, Rachel, he never sees his mother again, you name it. Yaakov said it. It's been, it's been a brutish life. It's been a bad, bad. But one thing is that it's been raw, but God has saved me. 
all these occasions, from all these difficulties, has been this redeeming angel. Maybe it's the Malach that Jacob sees when he's first leaving the land. In all kinds of situations, in the land, outside the land, there's been always someone to guide me in, in, in difficult times. That Malach, should bless these, these children. And here Yaakov is suggesting, I think, something about where they are. Yosef may think Mitzrayim is paradise. I mean, in a couple of chapters, he won't think that anymore. But Yaakov understands very well that it's difficult. We're in a difficult situation right now, even though Joseph doesn't see it. So God should bless these children. And through, right, and, and through them shall my name be called, together with Avram and Yitzchak. Here Yaakov talks about himself in terms of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And through them will my name be called. In other words, I will be, I will be, I will, I will live in a sense through them. And they should multiply in the middle of the land. It's interesting over here that he refers to them as they shall be Yidgu, from the word dog, fish. And we are reminded, I think, here that what Yaakov is doing in blessing these children, and in the next chapter, he blesses all his children. One might say Yaakov is taking on the divine uh, role of blessing because in the first chapter of this book, it's God who blesses. Um, God blesses the fish, God blesses the birds, God blesses the humans. And over here, it's Jacob who's blessing the humans, but he, he, he puts it in terms of the fish. So here we have Yaakov assuming God's role. And especially important given the fact that he's talking to Joseph in exile. And he's saying to Yosef, you need, you need divine assistance. And my blessing to you is that you continue along the path of, of my parents, Avram and Yitzchak, and, and, and of me. I see myself, says Yaakov, as following their path. And my blessing to you and your children as you follow this path. That's, that's the blessing over here. And again, it's a beautiful blessing because it's not just about one child, it's about children living together. They share, people sharing a blessing. That's what Yaakov is, and the Jewish people have, you know, that's what Yaakov says. Um, in, 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 right? Yaakov will say that this is the way Israel will, 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 will give blessings. God should make you like Ephraim and Menashe. We'll get to that later. Uh, let me just read a couple more verses and I'll take comments or questions over here. I want to see if we can finish this chapter today. It says, Vayar Yosef, but Yosef sees. Ki yashit aviv yad minyar rosh Ephraim vayyera b'yenav. Vayitmoch yad aviv, v'asiro tami ar rosh Ephraim ar rosh Menashe. So Yosef sees that his father had placed his right hand on the head of Ephraim. It was evil in his eyes. It was bad in his eyes. So he grabs onto his father's hand. He takes hold of his father's hand to remove it, to take it, move his hand from the head of Ephraim to the head of Menashah. Father, you're making a mistake. Zabachar, this one's the firstborn. Place your hand on his head. Maybe Yosef thinks, because the Chumash sets it up. Does my father know what he's doing? He can't see. He can't see at all. He's blind. Maybe not just blind, can't see. Maybe he's, he's, he's becoming more and more infirm. Maybe he's old, maybe he's lost it. So that's what Yosef says to his father. And this, we, now we remember the Pasuk, what God said to ya Yaakov when he went down to Mitzrayim, Yosef, Yoshit, Yodo, Aleinecha. Very strange. Joseph will place his hands over your eyes. And now in this verse, 
we have all the words. We have Yoshit. Joseph saw that Jacob had placed his hand, Yoshit Aviv. If I it was evil in the eyes of Joseph. You have the vision and we have the hand. And now we understand perhaps in retrospect what God meant. And now we have Yaakov's response. And after this, I'll take some questions and comments. But Yaakov refuses. I know my son, I know. He'll be a nation, he'll be great. But the younger one shall be greater yet. Your offspring shall be plentiful for nations. This is the way Israel will bless. So what is going on over here? Let me make this one or two comments about this, and then I will take comments and questions. So the Chumash has set this up for us. Yosef believes that his father is just making a mistake. For Yosef, Menashe comes first, and we spoke about that. And Yaakov, he actually grabs onto Yaakov's hand, somewhat a chutzpah. He grabs onto his father's hand. He says, no, father, you're making a mistake. I want to say two things about this puzzle. What is the word we had twice earlier in the Chumash. Previously, in chapter 39, Joseph refuses the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. He refuses to be consoled. That's a, that's, I'll get to that. First, let's start with Mrs. Potiphar. That's in 39. The first one, the one prior to that is Yaakov refuses to be consoled at the end of chapter 37. The Medrash links those two. The Medrash says, effectively, without saying it, I'll say it for the Medrash, that in 37, Yaakov says, I'm not gonna be consoled. I'm not gonna give up on my son. I'm, I don't, everybody else says he's dead, whatever, I refuse to give up. And in 39, the refusal of Yosef to get involved with Mrs. Potiphar is about the son who can't forget his father. He sees the father's image in front of him, the teachings of Yaakov. That's what the marriage is getting at. There's a link between those two. And now we have the third Vayimayin in the book, the last Vayimayin. And effectively, Yaakov is saying to Joseph is, listen, I didn't give up on you back in chapter 37, right? And I'm not giving up on you now either. Your, 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 your understanding of the way things work, as clever as you may be, is the wrong path. That's not the path for us. The path for us is the path of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mitzrayim is a dead end, period, end of report. You can't separate yourself from, from Eretz Canaan and from your past, because that's where God speaks. Because in the land of Canaan, we are instructed to walk before God. It's a way of God. The word Elohim appears several times here. We walk before God. Mitzrayim is not a place where you can walk before God. Yaakov understands Mitzrayim very well. And therefore, what I'm telling you is, no, no, I'm not giving up on you. This is the way you have to act. He's blessing Joseph. That's number one. And number two, there's something else about this Pasuk that's very important, critically important. And Yaakov says to Yosef, because Yosef thinks the father's lost it. That's for sure. He grabs onto his hand. No, no. He says, I know my son, I know. And that's critically important. First of all, the word yada, one could make the case that in the first two books of the Torah, namely in Sefer Breshit and Sefer Shemot, that yada is the critical word of the book. It's certainly true in Sefer Shemot. 
there's virtually not a story which that doesn't speak about knowing God or, or God knowing or people knowing or people not knowing, virtually every story. Knowing is not just to know, know is to empathize with, to connect to, etc. The purpose of the Mishkan is to know that God took you out of Egypt, to experience it, to know it. The Torah begins with the Eitz Hadat, Torah. Torah begins with, with knowledge. Knowledge is a two-edged sword. Knowledge is what makes us human, part of central. And knowledge is a dangerous thing and making you autonomous decisions. Us knowing what is good and bad or thinking we know what's good and bad is very complicated. And when Yaakov had the dream back in chapter 28, that's when he took the vow to build the bayit. He had the dream, he saw the angels going up and down the staircase to heaven and he woke up and Yaakov said he was very frightened. Says God is in this place. I didn't know it. The, be the beginning of Jacob's journey into exile, and the beginning into covenantal destiny, one might say, in the beginning of living the covenant, begins with not knowing. Now we come to the end of the book, and what Yaakov has accomplished through his life and through his struggles is to come to a real understanding of exactly what's required of it. He understands it perfectly. And that's the point of Yodati, Bini Yodati, which we read, which the reader reads and says, oh, I see. The story begins with Oyodati. But over here, it is Yodati, Bini Yodati. And what's interesting is, I'm reminded very much of these verses in the book of Yeshayahu, talks about the people that cannot see. And there's a very strange, difficult psukum in Yeshayahu, but I think my understanding of what, of what Yeshayahu was saying is, Sometimes the people who can't see, they see better than anybody else. Because what, it's what we choose to see, the people who can't see what's around them sometimes, they can't see what's around them. That is to say, they're focused on something else. They're focused on a particular path and a particular way of living. And they don't see all the other things. They don't take into account the other things that can take you off the path. So the point over here is that the one who sees perfectly in the story is the one who can't see. That's what the Chumash is saying, in effect. I mean, it's also a surprise. Yosef doesn't think so. Yosef thinks the father, it says Yaakov can't see. He can't see, but what does he say? Oh, I didn't expect to see you. I, I see even your children. That's what you can't see. But the point of seeing or not seeing in the story over here, to see can mean to physically to see. Yitzchak didn't see. He also didn't perceive. That's not true of Yaakov. That's a surprise. The Torah sets up a parallel to Yitzchak only to distinguish it. It's the opposite, that he may not see physically, but he perceives perfectly. Seeing and knowing over here, Yodati, he, has, he, has, he, he sees and he knows in the sense of seeing as knowing that Yaakov has. Physically to see, no, he can't see so well, he's blind. That doesn't mean he can't see, he sees perfectly. And Yosef who can see actually can't see, doesn't have the understanding. Yaakov corrects him, Yodati bini Yodati, gently, no, my son, it's, I, he loves Joseph, but no, no, that's not the way. It will also be great. I gave him a joint blessing. I didn't discriminate. But Ephraim always before Menashe, before forgetfulness. Understanding of the Mitzrayim as a place that's not our place because of its culture, its values, etc., and lack of God's communication. No, no. Want, our goal is to walk before God. My grandfather did it. My father did it. I've done it in a way with God's assistance. And my blessing is that you and your children should, should, walk, should walk this path. That's what Yaakov is saying. There were great dramatic moments in the book, without question. 
Okay, let me stop you for a moment and take comments or questions. Um, okay, let's let's stop here. Comments or questions? We still we still have time. Any comments or questions? You have a few minutes. Or... As always, feel free to unmute yourself and ask, or put anything in the chat that I can read out. If not, I'll just continue. There's no comments or questions. I think there's there's nothing in the chat, at least. Okay, fine. Let's just, we have a few minutes. Let me just, we, we can finish up here. I'm not sure we'll make it. We have two, only two verses. Bayoma Yisrael el Yosef. Hineo no chimate. Boya ohimi mochem. Beishivet chemel eretz avotechem. So God, now Yaakov says to Yosef, he's called Yisrael in this chapter. This is the great dramatic chapter. So the Torah, the great dramatic moments, he's called Israel. I will die, God will be with you, and God will bring you back to the land of your avoteichem. Picking up on what he just said to Yosef, asher hochu right? That the, my, my, my ancestors and I too walked before God, and Yaakov makes a prediction. Someday God will bring you back to the land of your ancestors. God will be with you. And now we have the last verse of this chapter. But we don't have the time to fully go into it now. But the last verse is, Behold, says Yaakov, I have given you Shechem Achad What is the Shechem Achad? Here they translate a portion, which could be an extra portion, over your brothers. What I mentioned before, that Joseph gets two portions, because they're two tribes. There's the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Menashe. So I've given you, in effect, an extra portion, more than your brothers. Then he says, literally, which I took from the Amori with my, my sword and my bow. I can't get into that now. Maybe next time we continue, I'll start with that. But I want to make a different point over here. about There are actually two points. One is, he mentions Shechem, and he mentions taking Shechem by, by, by force. That's one question. What? Because we have the story of Shechem back in chapter 34, where Yaakov was very critical of Shimon and Levi. In fact, he's critical in the next chapter too, but he blesses Shimon and Levi. He condemns them for Shechem. Leave that out for now. I wanted one, one little point over here before I stop, and that's the following. What Yaakov is saying to Yosef is something else here. And he's saying to Yosef the following, in my opinion. On one day, he's saying to Yosef, Yosef, I found a way to include you through Ephraim and Menashe. And including you through Ephraim and Menashe, I uh, give you a double portion. So the right of the Bechor, the firstborn has the double portion. So in effect, Joseph is the Bechor, by the way. He's the Bechor to Rachel. He's not the Bechor of all the family, the Bechor of the whole family, Leah's kids are born first, and the Bechor of the family is Ruben. But in a certain sense, Yosef is also a Bechor, so it's not, it's not incongruous for Joseph to get the Bechorah. Okay. But he's making it, but there's another point I want to push over here very strongly, and that is that what Yaakov says to Yosef is Shem Achad Arachecha. He's saying something to Yosef. Let me explain something. You have a blessing. You have my blessing. You have a double blessing. 
and you have a Ephraim and it's Menashe. But I want you to understand something. Your blessing is only with them. You don't have a separate blessing. You're not, I'm not blessing Joseph. Like Yitzchak blesses Yaakov, separate from Esau. Then do with Esau. One of them is going to get the covenantal blessing, that's Yaakov. <clears throat> and initially he blesses Yaakov thinking it's Esau. When Esau says, was my blessing, don't you have, you have more than one blessing? Yeah, one blessing to give. Someone's going to get the blessing. You are the other guy, but that is one blessing. He's saying something to Joseph, which is different over here, which is a very important point. He has to tell Joseph this. Let me tell you something, Joseph. Everything you are is going with your brothers. There's no separate Joseph over here. That doesn't work. Yes, with them, you have a very important position with the brothers. You have an extra portion. But it's only with the brothers. And I would add to this point before we stop that the reference to Shechem over here is not an accident. It probably doesn't mean a portion, but Yaakov is saying something else about Shechem. Because after all, the story of Shechem, I talked about the story of uh, Yehuda Vitamar being a central story, which of course it is, obviously. But the story of Shechem is also a central story. The story of Shechem is a central story in Sefer Breshit, and the story of Shechem is a central story in the Bible. Many stories play off Shechem, and maybe next time, whenever we continue with this and finish this up and jump into the book of Exodus, we'll talk a bit more about Shechem. But I, I do think that the mention of Shechem over here, Shechem Achala is in one way or another, Yaakov comes to terms with Shechem. I'm not saying he likes what they did, he criticizes it later. But I think over here, and the question is how you read this verse, which will take us some time to think about. It's more than one way to read the verse. But Shechem is a story in which the brothers acted as brothers in defense of their sister. Maybe they overreacted. Okay. But the point is, Shechem is, and Shechem is a city to which Jacob sends Joseph to find his brothers. So I don't think it's an accident over here that Yaakov says to Yosef, and Shechem is where Yosef is buried ultimately. He's buried in Shechem. The fact of the matter is that Shechem Achala Rachecha is Yaakov's way of saying to Joseph, you have the extra portion. Don't ever forget, you're one tribe amongst 12, or two tribes amongst 12, actually. But your only, your only blessing is with them. And Shechem is the city of brotherly love. Shechem is the city of defense of one brother defending the sibling. And you have to understand that's your role as well. Now, Joseph has done that in terms of feeding the family. And we continue the story, we'll see more about that. So he understands it on some level. But Yaakov is saying more than that. Yaakov is saying, someday God will bring you back to the land of Canaan, to the land of the Avot, and bring you back and bring them back. At the end of this book, when Joseph makes the brothers swear to bring him back with them, Joseph has very well learned the lessons, the teachings of, of, of Yaakov. Yaakov is the great teacher in the Chumash. He's the interpreter and he's the teacher. And Joseph turns out to be a very wonderful student who totally gets what Yaakov has taught him. We'll have to stop at this point. Uh, whenever we continue this particular class, there are the classes that we will finish up with that Buddhist verse and finish the book and then move to the book of Exodus. Hopefully we're looking forward to that. Uh, if anybody has any last comments or questions, I'll take it otherwise by email, thesoberatrisha.org. I wish everybody a Chag Sameach for Shavuot as well. Sman Matan Tolatenu.
this was just so wonderful. I'm, I just thank you so much. I learned so much from you each and every time. Can't wait for you to continue and wishing you just the very, very best thank health you. and happiness. Thank you. Thank you. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Thank you so much, Rabbi Silva, on behalf of everyone participating for this amazing shir this month. Um, and thank you so much to our participants for being in our learning community, for your questions and comments, which are always excellent. Um, as Rabbi Silver mentioned, this session will be the final one for this Zman, but we will be having an encore to finish up Genesis um, and move on to Exodus um, in our next Zman. Um, some little uh, Jerisha announcements before you go. The virtual summer Kollel application deadline has been extended specifically for morning Gemara. So if you'd like to study with Rabbi Dan Margulies for three weeks or six weeks, you can still apply. Um, and before we break for the summer, um, tonight at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we will have a pre-Shavuot program with Rabbanit Victoria Sutton. It looks excellent. Um, we hope that you can join us. You can learn more about all the things I just talked about and more uh, and sign up for classes at trisha.org. So hag sameach for Shavuot, everyone. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.